Welcome again to the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leader Podcast. I'm Paul Wilkinson, Adult Groups Minister Associate of the Brentwood Campus, and I'm here this week with Lydon Small, Discipleship Minister and Connections Minister at West Franklin. Welcome, Lydon. Hey, everybody. So today we're going to dig into the text for this week, which is uh, Exodus 3, primarily 14 and 15. I may look at the front and back end of that as well. But Lydon's actually up to bat to go from the pulpit this Sunday, so I thought it would be very interesting for him to come in and share some of his sermon prep and then just some of his heart uh, about what's been going on at West Franklin, how they're making disciples there, and just how life groups are going there because God's doing some amazing work. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. But before we kick off any of that, Lydon has a, a tremendous story to share. And we talk a lot on this podcast about playing the long game, about understanding that our some plant, some water, God gives the growth. And we don't know where we are in that. So our obligation is to be faithful to the gospel in equipping people for the ministry of the gospel. And insofar as we do that, the Lord's going to bear fruit from it. So I would like Lydon to share about his discipling relationship he's had with a young man uh, for some time now. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, so I had a unique opportunity. We had a gentleman that walked on our campus last Christmas, so end of 2016, beginning of 2017, and for a Christmas Eve service, had a had a chance to meet he and his girlfriend. And when I went to go do the follow up with both he and his girlfriend, his his girlfriend kind of let me in behind the scenes and said that she was a follower of Christ, and that he was not yet a follower of Christ. And so, if it was going to get, I guess, if the relationship was going to go somewhere, he was going to have to start understanding and get more serious about his faith. And so, uh, she just recommended I reach out to him and, and see how interested he would be and kind of understanding what Christianity is and that kind of thing. And so we ended up having lunch uh, the first or second week in January, and he was just an open book. He, he grew up nominally Catholic, but but really had no idea uh, what was in the Bible. Uh, the, the characters of the Bible had, had really no idea what the gospel was. And so really over the next really year and uh, a few weeks, we got together weekly, and it wasn't anything super special that we did. We went through a, a book just kind of enveloping some Christian doctrines first to kind of give him some familiarity of, hey, who is God? What is man? What is salvation? What's the, who is Jesus? That, what is sin? That kind of thing. And then we just started walking through the book of John. And so uh, we made it to uh, the 17th chapter, and that was uh, about this, this past week, this past Monday, we had a chance to go and grab a burger and talk about John 17. And um, pardon me, he felt God just calling him to himself. And he was asking me questions about, so when when he's talking about Jesus is praying for those who would come to follow him, just like his disciples do, he says, who's he talking about? Mm. And I said, well, he's he's probably talking about you. And um, just started kind of weeping, you know, in the the restaurant. And so we we had a chance. I mean, and Moving through the book of John, you you just 
come right up into these themes that are offensive and glorious and all of these different things. And throughout the whole process, I didn't hold back any punches. And um, because you, you're always you're always a little worried when you when you share the gospel, you know, it can be so easy to to file off some of the offensive edges of it. But um, you know, I remember when we were talking about you know John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches, and he's asking me about well, what are these branches that are over here that are going to be thrown away and, and burned up? And I said, well, well, for those who are who are outside of Christ, that's that's you. And so we had several kind of uh, existential moments where. We were we were confronted with judgment and and grace and what all of that means and so um, this guy had had never prayed before and so I I literally I wasn't going to force him into into some kind of a decision or coerce him to to doing something he wasn't comfortable with and so I basically just let the whole thing play out and um, uh, he he actually prayed to receive Christ on on his own accord in in my car. And uh, it was awesome. Uh, he, he, he texted uh, Matt, our, our pastor, later and said, yeah, I went in for a burger with Leiden, and I actually walked out with Jesus. And um, so just, nice. you know, but that, that's the, the cherry on top of it. I mean, I'd be lying if I told you that at, at different points I, I wasn't frustrated with, you know, how— how maybe not quickly things were moving and that kind of thing. But, um, and, and we even joked around about that, that a lot of times it feels like it's a broken record, the thing that we're talking about. But I said, Hey, I need the broken record. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day or else we forget it. And so we, we have to continue to come back to these simple truths. And so, um, really I, I was just humbled that, that God would allow for me to walk alongside this guy and, for me to be able to, to experience the fruit of that because, you know, we, we could look at it, let's say he got another job and moved somewhere else, and we could look at it as a failure. But the fact that I was incarnating Christ and who he is to to this gentleman um, is just a rewarding time. Yeah, that's an, it's an awesome story. And what's the most beautiful about it is that this young man is going to do for others exactly what you did to him. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing you see as you disciple others is that they disciple the way they've been discipled. Yeah. So the way you invested him over that particular text, the way you read John with him, I guarantee you it won't be long until the Lord has brought someone in his path where he's going to do that same thing with yeah. them. Yeah, and that that's something that we talked about the entire time. So what basically we're called to, to be disciples who make other disciples. And so I, I was always having that in the forefront of the mind, even when he was not uh, quote-unquote saved at that point. I was saying you have the ability to be a disciple maker of others by going to those people who are in your uh, live, work, and play, your stage of life, and telling them about the things that God is teaching you. And even more so now, he'll, he'll be able to have that experience and, and have that be a fruitful experience for his coworkers, his friends, the, the people he, he does life with. Yeah, and it was just you showing up faithfully, representing Jesus, sharing what you know about the Scripture, and sure you made a ton of quote mistakes along the way yeah but what you did was you elevated christ along the way and that's that's all it takes and you know the spirit does the heavy lifting christ has already done the uh fulfilling of the covenants and we just really got to show up and bear witness to it so my challenge life group leaders are you creating cultures in your life groups are you are you immersing your life groups in gospel so that they are equipped to go do that with Mm -hmm. the people in their life Mm -hmm. can the people in your group go do what Leiden did show up uh, regularly for a year and just share gospel with an unbeliever and yeah. to bring them salvation. Those are the kind of groups, that's kind of culture and environments we want to create. Mm-hmm. This is a powerful story. Amen. Mm-hmm. I mean, the angels are celebrating that for sure, as are we. Yeah. 
So the text, like I said, for this week is Exodus three fourteen and 15. It's the uh, divine name and the revealing of, as God reveals him as his divine name. I thought it would be fun for Lydon to give us a sneak preview of his sermon outline and uh, maybe some of what he's thinking about uh, yeah. in his sermon prep. And then we'll, we'll just speak into that, and that'll be our discussion for today. Yeah, so this particular passage is following, um, basically, we see Moses as a murderer, and we see what looks like the the end of his his book being an unproductive chapter and uh but but God in his providence and his sovereignty is is always working uh with redemption in mind with rescue in mind and he um uh, is is willing to use people to to bring that about and so basically the the outline if you will for for the the sermon that I'm going to be um, uh, giving at the West Franklin campus next Sunday is that uh, God sees, God cares, God calls, and God delivers. And so um, we have the privilege of seeing in Scripture what God is up to, but the uh, Moses and and the Israelites who are held captive in in Egypt don't have that vantage point. And so um, I'm going to kind of press into just the idea that that sometimes um, you know we, we either don't think God sees or we we don't think that He cares, uh, but we we see through through the script through the scripture and through uh, chapter three of, of Exodus that God sees what's going on, and uh, He sees the oppression of the people in Egypt. He sees them crying out to Him, um, and and He's working behind the scenes to bring about the solution that, that he's going to bring about, which is the redemption and the saving of his people. Uh, but uh, And so basically the, the first thing I want to suggest is that we actually have a God who sees, um, and, and he sees everything. You know, his, his eyes uh, roam to and, thro- to and fro throughout the whole earth. There's nothing that escapes what he's able to see. But if it just stopped there and God saw what was going on, and in this case some oppression, some slavery, and some you know, pretty nasty things, um, we could look at God as potentially uncaring or uh, maybe not very strong because he can see what's going on, but he doesn't have the ability to stop it. And so God in his providence uh, basically comes on the scene very vividly through the calling of Moses and introduces himself to to Moses and us as a very personal God. He says, I am who I am, or I, I, I be who I be. Um, there's this self-existent nature to him. There's this otherness. There's this set-apartness that that we, you know, in our limited mind just can't really understand. And so, uh, but but God God cares, and he introduces himself with promises of redemption to to Moses. Um, and then one of the ways that, that he accomplishes that is through the, the calling of Moses. And so, yeah, so let me throw one thing in about this, pers- this personal God. It is. I love. I love the way you said that. That we have a God who sees, a God who hears, and then a, a God who cares and is going to do something about it, and is strong enough to do something about it. And in the modern Western culture, so you would say Europe and the U.S., there's a ton of impersonal conceptions of God running around. So you would have something like the um, sort of the New Age spirituality, where it's just an impersonal force that unites us all. Um, but that God doesn't quote know us. It is not personal to us. Doesn't relate to us in any intimate way. I think about uh, the sort of God of moral therapeutic deism is the word often used. It was originally ascribed to our teenagers in the in the student ministries of evangelical Protestantism. 
But the God who just sits up in wherever with a chalkboard and tallies off or drops beans, I guess, on the good side of the scale and the bad side of the scale. And at the end, you know, we'll make his decision off of that. And so even within the church, we have these ideas of an impersonal God who's not active and involved and intimate with our lives. But the God of the Bible is the one who knows the hairs on your head, the one that knows the mm-hmm. sparrow and dresses the flowers. So I, I love that you're raising that point and you're really driving it home. Yeah, I mean, and even the fact that, um, that, that God chooses to call Moses initially through revealing himself through a burning bush, uh, I believe it's, it's Matt Chandler who, who talks about how fire is both um, kind of inviting, but it's also very threatening. And I think that that can be teased out as we try and understand both um, the, the, the holiness of God, the reverence of God, but yet the personal nature, you know, the uh, you can talk about the transcendence of God versus the eminence of God. So he is he is other. He is he is distinct from us, but then he is he is presently working and he is working out his plan with his people through his people, which is which is really really cool. Yeah, and what triggered all this for Moses was that the bush wasn't being burned up. Yeah, right. And so like we use the fire for warmth, we expect it to also destroy. Fire is incredibly destructive, and yet you have this bush that's burning but not destroying and that's really that really is a good image of our God. Yeah. Well and, and God God's seen what Moses has been up up to. He's mm-hmm. he's seen the path that has brought him to this point. You know, he's he's a murderer there in the desert and has been there for years. He sees where where he's shepherding his flock and that's not lost on him. And so it, it's important for us, even though sometimes I feel like, you know, we may say we don't want to be seen. We don't want people looking over our shoulder. We don't want uh, people uh, meddling in our business. We all want to be seen. You know, it, it comes from even when we're when we're a kid. You know, like let's say we make an A on our report card. We want to take it home to our mom and dad and say, "Do you see? You know what I've what I've done." And so, even when we fight that urge, we all desperately want to be seen. But but God God cares, as I said, and introduces Himself to us. Um, and it is interesting when he does that. You know, Moses asks the question, "Who am I?" Um, basically, kind of saying, what, "What what is my identity? Why why?" Why are you here doing this to me? And instead of God just quipping back and saying, oh, you're, you're Moses, you're the shepherd, you are uh, going to be the leader, he gives us even a more gracious answer than maybe we could ever ask or imagine by saying, I am who I am, and I will certainly be with you uh, because uh, we, we are introduced to the infinitude of, um, uh, of, of God, but, but yet his presence and that in and of itself is able to give us a more secure identity than anything that we could, like a label or, or something that we would never be able to live up to. Um, and so, uh, you know, through that call of Moses, that's actually one of, one of God's many graces to us because when we are, are not living in our call, living out our call, we're, we're basically going to live very frustrated lives. And so because we're, we're trying to do square peg round hole, we're trying to bootstrap it or uh, roll up our, 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 our sleeves and get it done by ourselves. But it, it, it's unfruitful to us because we, we're not living out who God has made us to be. And so uh, God calls Moses, um, calls a regular guy, if you will, to, to get the job done. And then Moses sitting there saying, who am I? Well, God also promises to deliver uh, not only his people, but but through Moses. So God never calls you to something 
that he doesn't also equip you to be able to do. And so we, we see so much of that throughout this, this whole story that, that God puts himself on the hook to solve this problem, if you will. And uh, Moses just has to get out of the way of himself and allow for God to use him. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. I think about how, and I talked about this in the podcast last week, and we know how the text ended from last week, is that Moses tried to go it alone, tried to go it without seeking God. Again, I'm assuming, I'm assuming as I think Leiden is uh, taking it, as mosaic authorship here. And this is likely written for the second generation coming out of the wilderness, about to go into the promised land. And Moses is getting this down for them. And he is he's acknowledging, he doesn't, doesn't give us any indication that he sought God before he wandered out, saw his brother being beaten, his brother as a fellow Israelite, and then he kills this Egyptian taskmaster. There is no thought that he had been praying to God about, how am I going to deliver my people? Oh, go murder that Egyptian. He just goes it alone. He just reads and reacts. And it lands him in hot water in that he's about to be killed by the Egyptian king. He's rejected by his own people. They do not appreciate that he did that for them. And then he ends up exiled. So he was just an utter failure on all levels. And yet that's what God calls him out of. And it's it really is stunning that he will use the regular people. He'll use the failures. He'll use the dregs of society, so to speak, and, and he'll cause a revolution with it. It's It's amazing how creative and wonderful our God is. And I, I really like how you talk about God as deliverer because I think about the story you told us to open about that young man is that it was the Spirit's job to convert him, not yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, God put himself on the hook to convert that guy. Right. Your job was to be present and bear witness. Yeah. And it's just, man, it's powerful. When you when you catch that, it really liberates you to be faithful to to disciple-making. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and even pressing... Um, you know, we, we when somebody introduces himself to us as I am who I am, I mean, that's a very confusing... <laughs> I've never done that. That's a very confusing <laughs> thought to us. Uh, but but God gives a little bit of his, his resume to us, if you will. He introduces us further as the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to me. And in a way, that's, that's kind of like him putting his resume out there mm-hmm. to kind of say, well... Do you see how I've been faithful to Abraham? Do you see how I've been faithful to Isaac? Do you see how I've been faithful to Jacob? That's the same faithfulness that I'm going to extend to you because we are, um, we change all the time. You know, we, we are not, uh, what, uh, immutable, if you will. We, we, we change, we are finicky and, and, and we can, we can kind of be tossed to and fro, but, but God is, is consistent. And so, if if God was somehow not reliable in the past, we couldn't necessarily count on him in the present. And if God, uh, it was only available to us in the present, but but we have no track record or nor, no uh, no promised hope, we don't know if he's going to show up for us in the future. And, and similarly, if, if God says, well, I'll get to you next year, I'll get to you next year, but he's never shown up in the past, we, we would have no real ground to, to say, man, this is a God who is worthy of, of worship. Uh, but he is all three of those things. God is the, the same yesterday, today, and forever uh, when we're not. Yeah, and it brings a, a deeper layer to those Alpha and Omega texts we read about, uh, both in Isaiah and in, and in Revelation. And it's always, how are we preaching the gospel? How are we immersing our groups in gospel? And I think the way Leiden is talking about past, present, future is getting back to the, the whole meta narrative of Scripture, that the same God who created in the beginning God is the same God who was redeeming in the person and work of Jesus, is the same God who's going to be 
consummating um, in the new heavens and the new earth. So as we are unpacking attributes of God, we can just make direct lines to, to gospel over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think God will do whatever is necessary to accomplish his purposes. So even even before Moses even knows what's going on, God has already promised to basically get the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites who are currently in the promised land out of there. And so that's going to happen. And so it's, it's, it's kind of up to us as we consider, well, are we going to be a part of that Um you know, how, how God is using people like Moses, or are we going to watch God do that through others? Because God's will will never be thwarted. Um, there, there's, there's nothing that he sets out to do that will not ultimately be achieved, but we miss out on the satisfaction when we are not putting ourselves in the middle of, of being a part of that plan because it edifies our faith. It it gives us the ability to to live on mission with others. It, it does all kinds of things when we uh, are able to to be on mission with God instead of say, oh well, you know maybe God can accomplish these things, but just through somebody else. Yeah, yeah we don't want to miss out. And I think that's one of our calling as group leaders is all the great ministry accomplished. I mean, and again, to talk about it uh, numerous ways and blogs and podcasts is that adult. Group ministry is the most strategic ministry in the church, not the most important, the most strategic, in that we create the workers for all the other ministries in the church, whether they're working in preschool ministry, student ministry, going on mission trips, campus launches, new church plants, whatever. It's, uh, they, they all largely come out of our groups. So are, are we creating uh, the cultures necessary to produce people that are willing to obey and to say, I want to be a part of this next big thing God's doing. Mm-hmm. I want to, as Leiden says, throw myself in the middle of that. That's a great way to think about it. So how are we as group leaders challenging our people to throw yourself in the middle of you know God's whirlwind, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we just had our staff meeting earlier this morning, Paul and I, and we were reminded that what a disciple is is somebody who makes other disciples. And so the way that we can measure fruit, the way that we can measure God working is not simply in uh, knowledge transfer or even moral conformity, but are we having a wake of disciples that that we are leaving behind us that are then making disciples of of of, of, of Christ of others? And so uh, we, we have a spiritual lineage from that standpoint that um, – has the ability to change generations of people uh, and, and, and open up the gospel to families that have never had a gospel presence in that, in that family lineage before, and it, it changes everything. And I mentioned that one of the challenge questions last week that's going to become a new qualitative metric for us is who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Well, an extension of that then is who are they discipling mm-hmm. would be sort of the next question that comes out of that. Or as we as group leaders, we ought to be challenging our group members, who are you discipling? Like who are you, who are you investing your life in? And what you find is as you do that, you're going to create these spiritual family trees. And, I mean, in the end, that's really the only, only metric that matters in many ways. Mike Glenn likes to say that we confuse the church's organization with the church's organism. And I would argue the same thing for our groups. Our groups aren't organization. Those are organisms. And one... And our faith is not an organization. It's an organism in its own way. 
And one sign of health for organisms is, are they reproducing? Mm -hmm. So are we reproducing our personal faith in others by discipling them, inviting in the lost and searching, as Leiden did with this young man that showed up at the Christmas service? Are we reproducing our groups so that we can reach new unconnected people? Uh, We need a diversity of groups because some people won't walk into a 50-person group, so we need to be splitting out eight-person groups where maybe somebody's more comfortable to show up into that one and say, hey, will you invest in me? Or, I don't know, maybe we need uh, men's only groups to split out or women's only groups or whatever. I mean, it's about the next person you disciple and the next person they disciple. And until that's our attitude, we're always going to be sort of artificially capped, I think, by our own imaginations, Mm -hmm. for sure. But God calls us to something greater. So what else you got sermon-wise? Well, I mean, that's that's the big stuff. Um, I mean, obviously it's not the full sermon, but... <laughs> Will you share a little bit about your calling? My calling to... Because Lydon and I were interns together, so we have a, we have a nice history. Yeah, so um, I, I've only been on staff uh, in full-time ministry for, I guess, a little over a year and a half. And before that, I was in the business world for several years, most recently for a healthcare company here in Nashville. And, um, you know, had, uh, I don't know how far we want to go back into it, but, but I've always been in different spheres of leadership and spiritual leadership. Um, my, my first job growing up was in the recreation department at a church outside of Atlanta where I grew up. And so I was, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I was wiping down basketball courts and, uh, <laughs> coaching soccer and all that kind of stuff, but um, didn't really feel called to, to Bible school at that time and wanted to um, go out and get a business degree, and I did, and, and uh, had, a, had a successful business career, and um, uh, the membership process here was actually, uh, I, I was a member here at Brentwood, my wife and I were before we moved to West Franklin as members before I was on staff, but the membership process, especially place, the Discover You portion was huge for me understanding my call to ministry. And I feel like a jerk, but I must mention you were in a life group here, Life, Love, and Everything in Between with I was. Uh, John and Trudy Barker John at 930 Trudy Barker. I was, I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was a, it was a larger uh, on-campus group, and, and as a part of that, Eric and I, we led a a uh, group of younger couples that, that mm. broke off and, and met in met in homes uh, for for a time while we were here and um, and it didn't really feel like making the jump uh, even though I, I saw throughout the membership process some of these spiritual gifts being called out in me didn't feel like making a jump into um, a full time seminary or vocational ministry or however that looked um, but Eric and I did go on a uh, mission trip, our first international mission trip. I'd done things domestically, but in 2014, uh, with, went with uh, Brentwood to uh, Rio, Brazil, and did evangelism down there. And God awakened me to just this big world and this big kingdom uh, need for the gospel. And so I, I came back and started some seminary classes just in the night, uh, kind of taking night classes and um, had a professor that kind of mentored me a little bit and helped me to discern my call to ministry and ultimately gave me, um, I guess, the tools that I needed to understand that, um, I don't know, I had these gifts in me and I needed to use them for the kingdom. And so I wanted to make an eternal impact and that kind of thing. And so, as Paul mentioned, I ended up being able to um, intern uh, with, with him as I was kind of fleshing out that call and super thankful for 
uh, Paul's friendship and, and Steve Layton and, and all the others that were able to kind of speak into me and help me uh, just with some of the uh, bolts and parts of what ministry looks like and, and what to expect. And uh, wasn't long after that that there became an opening in the um, uh, West Franklin for the adult discipleship a- area there. And so I uh, was extremely humbled for them to, to give me an opportunity to, to come on staff as, as a full-time minister there. And I have a unique perspective because I haven't always been in ministry. And so I've, like I said, I came from the business world. And so it's given me an interesting relatability with uh, the, the people that I lead. Um, and so I'm still, you know, learning on the job, as, as they say, but, uh, and I'm finishing up seminary as well uh, right now. But um, that's the, the quick version. Yeah, and you, I mean, I know what you mean, but you were always in ministry. I mean, maybe not vocationally so, but when I think about you when, in LLEB and you and your wife split out a small group from that, and then uh, you from the beginning coaching soccer and um, being with the student ministry there. So you've always been active in seeking it. The question was, as you were honing your calling and growing, it was just really incredible to see how God worked on you. And I just challenge you life group leaders, like how many light and smalls are sitting in your life groups that you don't know about? Are you asking them to teach? Are you asking them to lead out on mission? Are you asking them to break out a small group from your larger group? Are you willing to make those big asks of your people and and let them shine in their spiritual gifts and flourish? And Leiden and I are here to help you uh, think through that, help you find these people. And I mean, who would have thought, who would have thought you'd be leading discipleship and and connections at West Franklin and all the great stuff going on over there, all the people coming to faith. It's, um, man, it's it's awesome. Yeah, we get to baptize uh, two 20-somethings uh, mm. this Sunday, and um, super excited about about that and, and all the things that God's doing there. Yeah, and, and your custodian just came to faith. Did, yeah, so we, we hope to. Do another group, and they had been working on them for a long time. Yeah, we, we hope to keep the baptistry pretty full. That's um, right. Give us something to, Amen. yeah, something extra to celebrate. Good, well, hey, thank you so much for being on, on the podcast with me today. Uh, I certainly love working with you, certainly love your heart and your powerful story, and just your faithfulness, and we can all learn something from your faithfulness. So we, we are going to be praying for you as you preach for the first time at West Franklin. I was shocked by because I really thought you had done it before. But we're going to be in prayer about that, and you're definitely going to hit it out of the park. And uh, you're just so sincere about the gospel, and that, that always believes out of you. So I appreciate that, and it's, it's a real blessing to be with you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul.